return seems to be a theme that's happening these days, and it felt like that was the right word to name this first message back together. Return. It's good to be back, and I'm glad to be sharing this time with you. Have I told you lately that I love you, Living Water? Oh, thank you. Have you seen some return movies? They seem to be big box office hits. Uh, I looked up a couple of them. Rocky, plus eight sequels, including the Creed franchises, which were spinoffs from Rocky, has made over $1.4 billion at the box office, not to mention all the digital sales. I think Sylvester may have tapped into something that's kind of deep into human beings' psyches. The Karate Kid, just when you thought he was finished. <laughs> Miracle, for you hockey fans out there, based on the Miracle on Ice, USA, USA. The Pursuit of Happiness, misspelled with H-A-P-P-Y, with Will Smith, as you may have seen. That was a single dad and his young son facing really impossible odds to try to bounce back from being homeless to becoming successful and content. And my personal favorite, which I own because it was given to me because I kept begging my family to give it to me, Seabiscuit. Not only does the horse make a comeback, but so does the jockey. We love these movies. I love these movies, probably because we have all known some moments, or perhaps months, or maybe years, when we just don't know if we have enough strength to get back up again after we've been knocked down several times. We also love these movies because we want the underdog to come out on top. I mean, we want justice. We want the good guy to win. And these return stories always have, almost always, two struggles that the main character has to face. First, there's the outward struggle. That comes from the outside. There's nothing that that person can control, and it knocks them off their feet. Maybe it's a car accident. Maybe it's a job loss. We're downsizing. We're sending jobs overseas, whatever. A divorce. Maybe financial devastation. Maybe a hospitalization. Maybe death of a loved one. And then there's the inward struggle. And very often, this is when we start to see somebody that turns inside themselves because they didn't deal terribly well with the outward struggle. And that causes further pain. So they make the problem worse by how they deal with it. Maybe they're in denial. Maybe they just go glibly along until finally something finally gets their attention and they have a moment of clarity as they wake up to the truth of their new situation. Maybe they just didn't process their grief well, and so they spilled out with anger toward people that they love, and yet they mistreat them. Maybe they self-medicate. Maybe it turns into an addiction. Maybe they squander their resources, or they break relationships, burn bridges. And when we walk with these characters through the course of these difficulties in these movies, we start to ache with them, and we start to just long for that time when finally they're starting to find some hope because they, they seem so hopeless along the way. We want them to dig deep and find that reason to get back up again. We want to hear that wonderful theme music. Because we know that they've found the motivation they need to get back and start training again because they can get back in the ring or get back on that horse 
or back into that job or whatever it is they need to get back to. But we want them to get back into life again. And it does our hearts good and it starts to swell up within us as we think, they're going to do it. They're going to get back up and they're going to go again. Yeah, you go. Return is a big theme in the Bible too. We see many times, as we have seen in our growth encounters, thank you, Steve and Mark, for great growth encounters in this last 16 months. I have appreciated them immensely. We can see in Israel's history that they were given many calls to return. Like this one, Joel 2.13. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting in evil relenting of evil. And after what we have witnessed in our world this last 16 months, it just seems like a call to return is appropriate. We've all experienced a pandemic, aka an outside force, which has taken a toll on everybody in one way or another. It has pushed an awful lot of people into despair. Just about everybody I know has been pushed to the limits of their own personality types. And because we actually studied personality types in one of our small groups, I'm an expert on it now. <laughs> Not really. If anything, what I discovered is I don't have a clue because I thought I could somehow use the personality typing to help me identify how I can come across better to this other person. And instead, I just realized that, man, we were all strung out. I think everybody was pushed to the end of themselves until they just were going to the worst parts often, not all, but often into the worst parts of their personalities. And that's difficult. That's an outside force. But an outside force, that novel virus, which we now know a whole lot about, doesn't account for the most devastating effects of the pandemic. Because I think the most devastating effects have to do with how human beings responded to other human beings during the pandemic. We've witnessed a lot of that on the news. We've felt a lot of it ourselves. We've seen it, unfortunately, on social media. And in an online chat that we had with some of the family that we have in different states a couple of weeks ago, my son-in-law made an observation <laughs> He said, I've watched a whole bunch of movies lately, including zombie movies and post-apocalyptic, you know, dystopian world movies. He said, I would look at the way people are acting toward one another in those movies, and I would think, oh man, that's awful. People don't really treat each other that way. We're not that tribal, are we? And he thought, oh, maybe we are. Because it seems like we see a bunch of people who are trying to get whatever resource they're clinging for, clamoring for, and they don't really care how it affects other people if they get it all. Anybody happen to remember the great toilet paper shortage of 2020? My son-in-law said, this kind of survival mentality is crazy, and yet that's what we've been looking at, all of us, for the last 16 months. i got to say, I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> we've seen how people have revealed their self-centered natures instead of looking for ways to help one another. And again, I'm saying... This is a broad generalization. We've also seen a lot of good things too, but there were a lot of things that brought out the worst in humanity. And it's just hard. It, it hurts your heart, doesn't it, when you see it acted out so blatantly in front of all of us. But to be fair, we've also seen some really heroic selflessness along the way, haven't we? So it wasn't all bad. But it's hard to see the ugliness that lurks inside human beings. And I'm not letting myself off the hook here. 
I look deep inside myself and I recognize, yeah, there's some ugly down there too. Sometimes it gets expressed at home with my loved ones that I swore to secrecy. (laughs) But they've seen how upset and anxious I have become and how ugly I want to get in retaliation. Over what? Over things that really don't amount to a whole lot if we start putting them in perspective, which is why I think we need to do things like we're doing today. We need to gain perspective again and come worship together and get into God's Word and remember why we're here and get back to our God-given purposes. There were a lot of things during the pandemic that would probably not have been that big a deal, but because there were so many things heaped up one on top of the other, certain things would be small in comparison, but they would just light the fuse. And it seems like our fuses got shorter and shorter. And we don't really like what we see when we see that in other people. Well, how do you think the church did through the pandemic? And I'm not talking about this local church. I'm actually exceptionally proud of this local body of believers. You have no idea. (laughs) When I saw the many ways you were trying to adapt and pivot and start down a new road and try to encourage one another in different creative ways, oh man, that made me so proud. It made me so glad to be a part of a body of Christ that gets the reach vision. You get it. But maybe you saw some things broadly speaking, with the church capital C. And I'm being pretty harsh when I grade it. I don't think I would have given the church with a capital C a really good grade in this last 16 months, honestly. If I consider what the Bible tells us what we're supposed to be about, I think an awful lot of people who profess to be Christians use their form of religion to try and defend things that don't really look very biblical. I'm being gut-level honest. I saw some things that were being done in the name of religion, but they sure didn't look very Christ-like to me. It's as though many would say, I would do anything to reach someone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus, but I won't do that. And I know this is sounding pretty harsh. I get it. Maybe it's still post-pandemic pressure. But I saw so much of that kind of behavior that I think it's true in a lot. The good thing, and I'm not the one who's going to be judging everybody when it comes time for Judgment Day. Which brings me to the inner struggle. I recognize within myself, even in the way that I became judging and judgmental about some of the other kinds of behaviors that I saw, that I have the potential of making things worse by overreacting to other people's overreactions. One knee-jerk results in another knee-jerk, and before long, everybody is in the room knee-jerking with each other. It's like that room full of mousetraps loaded with ping-pong balls. And all it takes to set the whole room off is one person who gets just over the top in their response in a negative energy, and everybody else just kind of responds in kind. And there have been some times, I'm being gut-level honest with you, confessions of a pastor, there have been times this last 16 months when I've gotten really angry at people. And I would say, well, I'm distressed about that. That's what we say from the pulpit. But we know, no, that was anger. I was just angry. And fortunately, I have patient people at home with me that would send me out for another walk. They'd say, do you need to go for another walk? And there were some seasons in the midst of the bell curve of the pandemic when I was doing two a day. And they were long walks. I know how badly I wanted to say certain things that would not have helped mediate or de-escalate the situation. 
particularly because of this dastardly thing called social media. I even typed out some lengthy and pretty harshly worded social media posts that I decided to let simmer for a while while I went on a walk. But as I left them to simmer, by the time I got back, I realized, yeah, that was therapeutic for me, and I feel better having typed them out, but I don't think it would have helped the situation. And so I realized that I learned something else. The delete button is a gift to humanity. Why do I bring up my personal inner struggle through this pandemic? Because it strikes at the inner struggle that I see in these return movies that I think resonates with all human beings. We want to return to something, but we don't want to return to something that's just business as usual because things weren't all that great. (laughs) I don't want us to return to business as usual. I want us to return to God. I want us to return to the gospel. I want us to return to loving people the way Christ loved us and forgiving people as God through Christ forgave us. I want to return to all those things that would cause other people on the outside looking in at us to say, I want what they've got. Because they can see Christ being manifested through us, through His character in us. So most of us are probably familiar with this verse. It gets spoken a lot and printed a lot. It was posted a lot in this last 16 months. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So who is this verse aimed at? Someone wisely pointed out just a few weeks back in our midweek prayer service that this verse points to those who are called by God's name. That means professing Christians, people who consider themselves followers of Jesus. So you know what I think that means? I think it means exactly what we think it means. If we're going to have any healing, it has to start right here. It has to start with us, believers. And because I'm a believer, it has to start right here with me. And this one really nailed me. As I started reading through this and praying through what I was going to say on this first time back, this verse nailed me because God was telling me, you need to get on your knees, bucko. Because you've got an awful lot of things to confess and to get forgiveness for over the last 16 months as well. And unless you're willing to do that, then this verse really doesn't apply. And I certainly do think it very much applies. I realize that I need to deal with my inner struggle. Yeah, I couldn't help the lockdown situation. I couldn't help the fact that we lost a building in which to meet. I couldn't help all the social media posts that were driving me nutty. But there's some things in my inner struggle that I definitely had to deal with and am still dealing with. I suspect we all do. So if we're going to have any healing, it's got to start with us. It requires soul searching. It requires opening up our hearts to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, I may not like what I see, but I give you permission to reveal truth about me, to me. I want to be able to tell myself the truth. I attempted to build a bridge a couple of months ago because there was somebody that I had just become so frustrated with that I unfriended them. It's bad when a pastor unfriends you. 
And then I had remorse about it. And I thought, oh no, they're going to find out that I unfriended them. And now I've just burned a bridge. I feel so guilty about that. I'm so conflicted sometimes. But after I had let all that stuff simmer and pass, and I finally got back to it, I said, God, help me know what I can do to take at least one step back. One tiny baby step of faith back toward building a bridge with that person. And we had not had any knockdown, drag out fights. I just got my heart hurt. And hurt people hurt people. And I realized that I had probably hurt that person as well. And I had to admit that. I had to be honest with myself and saying, yes, I have been guilty of hurting people too. It's not all those bad people out there and me. I'm one of those persons. I have the inner struggle. And so I put together a carefully worded note to say, I've just been reflecting in my prayer time this morning about the many ways that you and your family have blessed our family and our church family through the years. And I was thinking about this and this and this, and I was thinking, I have a lot to be grateful for. And so thank you for pouring your lives into our family and into our church family through many, many years. And I knew that sometimes those things can precipitate a change, but it may not be immediate. And it wasn't. I didn't hear anything back, but you know what? My heart was lighter because I had taken the first step. And then two months later, I got a personal message. And it was a step back. It was a reach back. And it was a positive reach back. And it was not the kind of reach back that says, well, let me tell you all the reasons why you're wrong. It was a really helpful, hope-building reach. And I thought, this is recognizing one another. That's the reach vision being fleshed out personally and relationally. And I felt good. I felt a lightness in my spirit because I thought, God, I want this to be multiplied numerous times so that we can reach other people and build bridges with them so they can see God's love manifest in us. Let me share another return passage of Scripture. This relates to God's chosen people, Israel. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. That's from Jeremiah. Here's something I found helpful as I prayed through this process of praying for God to start the healing with me. Even though His chosen people, Israel, continually strayed from the path God has established for them. I mean, continually. He faithfully and persistently sought them and called them to return to Himself. And when you hear what He says to His people through the prophet Jeremiah, you realize that he still had some discipline to hand out. We've seen that in the Growth Encounter teachings. Mark mentioned it just a couple of weeks ago, I believe, when he was saying, yeah, there were certain times, I can think of a couple in my mind in the Old Testament, where one generation didn't even get to move forward. It had to wait until the second generation to finally see the rewards. That was God's punishment, and it was righteous discipline. There were some times when Israel needed to learn a big lesson, so they got sent to the big timeout chair called exile. But we also know that God did not give up on His people. My prayer is that we won't be as stubborn as Israel was much of the time. My prayer is that we will learn our lessons quickly and turn to the Lord before the punishment phase of discipline becomes really rough. You know, parents, what I'm talking about? Sometimes... One little discipline 
can be grasped quickly before it has to be added to. Like the old adage, do I need to add five more minutes to your timeout? No. So what was the motivation for Israel to return? Where did their desire to return come from? It wasn't because they played the theme music of Rocky. It was because God started playing his theme music in their hearts. He was the one who said, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. God is the one who initiates the return. He's the one who makes it possible for us to return to him. God's discipline to Israel, and this is so vital, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I keep saying it because it's true. Everything, even his discipline, is motivated by his love. If he didn't care about them, why would he care about disciplining? Because he loves them. It's still what draws people back to him today, that love. It says in Romans 2.4, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's his love that leads us to repentance. Are we afraid to initiate reconciliation? I am. If I were to go to Reconciliations Anonymous, I'd have to say, Hi, my name is Clark, and I really loathe taking the first step. It's hard. And I just want to keep sitting on all the conversations I've had and mulling them around in my brain instead of getting past that and saying, God, show me what to do next that's going to take the right step back because I want to return to that right relationship. And I got reminded as I was saying that just now of Sarah Grove's songs, Remember, Surrender. Remember what it was like that very first time when you surrendered to Him. That weight lifting off of your chest. That's what I want. That happens a lot when humans try to reconcile with humans. Somebody's just afraid to take that first step and so it's just the standoff. Two people who are waiting for the other person to take the first step and they probably would both be really open to a great conversation, but they're just waiting for somebody to start the process. Here's something God will never do, though, and this is so true, and I love it. He will never turn you away if you take one step back in His direction. He will never grade your apology note. And the reason I say that is, I actually discovered this is true, and it's pretty funny. Can you imagine being struck with remorse after breaking up with your boyfriend so that you send a letter of apology only to have it returned in the mail marked up with red ink and graded? It happened. It really happened to a guy named Nick. Not the Nick we know. This is another Nick. I don't even know his last name. But he received a thoughtfully handwritten letter from his ex-girlfriend. And in that letter, she apologized profusely for the mistakes that she had made in their relationship. So what did Nick do? Well, he applied his English composition skills and marked up her apology with red ink and graded it and mailed it back to her. Would you like to know what grade he gave it? A D minus. Nick. <laughs> Nick made some notations about an indentation error and then he criticized her lengthy introduction because it was too long, it was too verbose, it had too many repetitions, it was unnecessary verbiage. See what I did there? 
And then he scrutinized the body of the letter, writing marginal critiques about specific statements. And immediately following the letter's conclusion, Nick wrote that his ex-girlfriend had, and I'm quoting here, a strong hypothesis, but nothing to back it up. He said that she needed to, and I quote, stop contradicting your own story and pick a side. Do you think that was effective? (laughs) I'm going with a probably not on that one. Aren't we glad, however, that God will never grade our apology letter? The minute we apologize to Him, if we have an open heart of repentance, and if we say, God, I want to return to you, you know what He does? He starts running back in our direction. He shows us that because of that story of the prodigal. The instant we take the first step, it's very undignified on His part, but He doesn't care. He doesn't just walk solemnly out. He starts running to meet you on the road back. That's the kind of God that we know in the Bible. He's abounding in mercy. He will accept your apology. We know this because of Jesus' story. And we know that because Jesus demonstrated that Christ-like sacrificial love. He initiated it on our behalf. That's what the prophet Zechariah was supposed to say to Israel, which is why he said, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you. He desires that return. He longs for that return. This is encouraging news for those of you who may have found yourself distant from other people and sometimes distant from God, even for a long time. If you've been absent, For a long time, maybe absent from God, you should know that God will never, ever reject those who admit their sin and ask for His forgiveness. He always answers the prayers of those who admit that they need Him. That's the prayer that He loves to answer. And we know that too because of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It seems that a good place to start as we start entering life again, including in-person worship, is with some confession. I'm not going to make you come up and confess to this microphone here. This is all going to be done internally. But I think it's going to be helpful for us to start on the right foot, which is to start on our knees, so to speak. Because I think that as we begin a new season, we need to confess, God, we really want to return to you, and we want to return starting fresh. We want you to cleanse us from everything that we have been a part of, and I know that I have. I want him to cleanse my heart so that we can start fresh. And on a new page that we're turning, a new chapter that's going to be written into the life of this local body of believers that can influence so many other people for the love of Christ. Let's pray and spend some time getting honest with God as we prepare to return, not just to regular activities, but to return to God. And then we'll sing our way out of this place. Let's pray. Father, what a season. I readily admit that I have desperately needed to confess and repent of things from my own life and my own heart that have become blocks, 
blockages of your love, that, to keep your love from flowing freely through me to others. And I confess that. And I pray that if there are others who need to confess, that they will do so. And that as you bring things to mind in this season, that they will confess them and repent and open themselves to your Holy Spirit as you start bringing to their minds what they can do now to start evidencing that repentance. Show us the steps we can each take to start becoming the kind of body of believers that is readily recognizable so that outsiders could look at us and say, we know they're Christians by the way they sacrificially love one another. I pray that you will develop within us a heart for people who need Jesus. I pray that you'll show us how to love sacrificially, to forgive people who need to be forgiven just the way you've forgiven us through Christ. And I pray that as we start on the right foot with a clean slate of forgiveness, that you will ignite in us the real reasons, the godly reasons to get back on our feet again, to get back in the ring or back on the horse or whatever analogy we might want to use, but to get back in life, to get back to doing what you're calling us to do so that we can be your ambassadors, your representatives in the world. May we do so in your strength because of your Holy Spirit at work in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.